0: Here we go, here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, who of your fatherly mercy spared not your only begotten Son, but you gave him up to sin and death on the cross, so we beg you, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts that we may be fully comforted by his grace, be on guard against all sin, and patiently bear whatever you send us to suffer, that following him all the way home, we may live with you forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're starting late, and we're leaving early, which means we'll never get finished with this, so we'll have another go at it uh, in a couple of weeks. This is a big week, of course. Uh, Thursday is you know fabulous with the stripping of the altar and Saturday you know it's better than Christmas Eve it's remarkable kind of stuff and then a big party on Saturday night you know so uh, and the old you know Kirby's father's rule you can stay up as late as you want on Saturday as long as you can get to church on Sunday so <laughs> good advice so it's a it's a big week there's confession uh, I think each day Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday if you want to come to confession so you you can find us, but it's a nice week, and, and we're very glad you're here. We're very uh, happy that the Laticks are here, Pastor Latick and his lovely wife, Jean, who really is the glue that holds it all together. <laughs> and then, of course, everybody else, the music was fabulous and we, you know, please, let's not take it for granted how much work that takes and how really wonderful the musicians are here. So, thank you very much to them. So, and then let's, let's see if we can get some good done. Uh, um, you know, what happens now is I realize my time is limited and I have so many things I wanna to say to you and we're coming to the end of the year. And so, you know, as you can tell, the outlines grow, but um, I'm actually trying to give you some things that you might hold on to into your future. So let me sum for you then the basic thing that I wanna to say to you today, which is this. You've probably thought about the Lord's prayer as primarily praying to the Father as Jesus prays to the Father, which of course is true. But I want to try to convince you that the Lord's Prayer is actually Trinitarian, that our Father of course names the Father, but thy kingdom come is actually begging for Jesus. That is the kingdom of God is embodied in the flesh and blood of Jesus. And then when we pray, um, uh, thy will be done, it's actually begging for the Holy Spirit. So this is a different way of thinking about the Lord's Prayer, but the beginning of the prayer is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come save the world. How is that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen by caring for our bodies, daily bread, caring for our souls. Um, Forgiveness is primarily the way that we're cared for and cared for others. And then that we're protected from evil as we go. So deliver us from the evil one. And then the great confession that it will all turn out okay. Kingdom power and glory are yours. There will be a day when the Lord will sort us out. He'll sort everybody out. You should pray for your enemies in this way. That God would sort them out mercifully. And God will do his best to do that. So you don't need to be angry. You don't need to have enemies. You don't need to hate. You don't need to be violent. Because God will sort it out. You pray that every time you pray the Lord's Prayer. and That's where I want to take you. But there's so much theology jammed into that it'll take some time and I'm sure um, you know we'll never sort of move through this so save your outline if you want to come back not next week for Easter but then the following week and we'll see how far we can get but I've tried to write you a little bit of an outline toward that but first then see there's always so much to do Uh, I just want to say to you you know I I leaned on you heavily at the beginning of Lent to try to Do something with ashes and alms and and fasting and prayers. And I know, at least from talking to some of you, that's been an up and down experience. And in my own life, it's been an up and down experience too. Hey, lock in. It is the last week of Lent. Everything before this is forgiven. Whatever you've learned about yourself put to use. If you bit off more than you can chew, re-bite and re-chew for this week toward next time or next week. But if you have alms still to give, give them. And if you have prayers to say, say them. And if you have a fast to make, make it. And you'll be free by this time next week. Okay? So lock in. Okay, point two. With every Our Father, we beg the Holy Trinity to bundle us up as his own. And this is where I want to sort of bring you. And I'm going to say to you, actually, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. It's not a brilliant observation but that the first commandment and the first article of the creed and the, and the introduction They our Father are all the same. And then the second bit, hallowed be thy name, along with the um, second, ar- uh, second uh, commandment, um, don't misuse the name. And the second article, the redeemer bears the name. And then the third bit, right? Um, on earth as it is in heaven, is a prayer to the Holy Spirit, which goes with uh, all the gifts you got in the first three commandments and pushes you into the last four. These things are sort of, it's sort of, the, you know, the church only has one thing to say, but it just keeps saying it in different ways. If you can begin to observe that, everything will pull kind of in the same direction. So, point number two, with every Our Father, we beg the Holy Trinity to bundle us up as its own. Now, these are things, I've I'm only just put this because we missed a week, and then... I want to be quite clear about this, that the Father lives in heaven, and we talked about the two ways that's given to you, Abba, this intimate way, and then Pater, this more, um, I would like to put, awestruck way. And I'm not always happy about the way the uh, catechism is translated, we fear and love God, you know, as if God is someone you need to be afraid of. Well, that's not the default for Christians. It has much more to do if, you, if we would read awe instead of fear. So there's a way that if you had a good father, and we talked a whole week about what makes a good father, and it's idolatry to put your father's woes on the Heavenly Father, right? In this case, at least, theology works top down. But uh, to, um, to have a father is this mix of, to have a good father is this mix of awe and intimacy. So, um, when I was a boy, (laughs) working at Cedar Rapids Sheet Metal Company, it took me a whole summer working with my older brother to realize that air conditioning units had a heavy end and a light end. (laughs) Only accidentally did I discover that he'd given me the heavy end all summer long. These are the sort of things you learn as a second child. I also remember taking some sheet metal, some ductwork, this is in the old days when you actually made ductwork, people bent tin, You know, I I was on the bottom end of the ladder. Again, a bad idea, but you're younger, and that's what you get. And so we're taking, you know, duck work down the ladder, and I hear this sound that sounds like a rattlesnake. And what I realize is somebody left a short piece of duck work between the long pieces, and it was sliding down my face as I'm holding it like this. So, you know, what did I do? I put my hand up, and I can show you where it went to the bone on my thumb. Because sheep metal sharp. But anyway, that, that's to tell you this. <laughs> that the most tender moment perhaps my father ever had is when he came to the hospital, kind of held on as they stitched me. Right? What is my father? So this combination of tenderness and awe, right? You have to have all of that here. So you have to tell yourself every night when you pray, I am his beloved, and he's pleased with me. And we, as fathers, often don't Deliver that, but we need to deliver that, right? You're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus says that, or the Heavenly Father says that to each one of you, because, of course, when the Heavenly Father looks at you, he sees Jesus, right? And, you know, the greatest thing you'll ever hear in your life is when you arrive in heaven and the Lord says, the way of Matthew 26, I'm very pleased with you. And then you'll say, you know, in humility, when did I ever see you hungry and feed you? When did I see you naked and clothe you? When did I see you in jail and visit you, right? And Jesus will regale you, your heavenly father will regale you with places where you did his work even unknowingly, which is the joy of being baptized, right? That the Holy Spirit is always active and your whole life is a prayer and there's so many good things to do. In any case, um, I've tried to convince you that this father you have in heaven, is to you perfect in both awe and intimacy. And then that heaven is marked by holiness. So when you pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, be your name, you're actually describing his, his, um, his address. And I've also tried to convince you that um, when holiness and love and purity and forgiveness and humility and joy and peace are synonyms, um, you've just awakened in heaven. But, of course, then that's what you strive for while you're here. Um, I'm turning the page and there's a lot of pages to turn, but there's a lot of things to think about here. So that holiness gets born uh, with the holy name. And we, we did talk about this and, but these two very interesting, you know, if you could kind of tuck these away, your little bit of Latin for the day. Abdira, right, is the word for listening. You can hear a- audio in that, in that Latin root, right? ab audira, So to pray is to ab-adira, to listen well. And then, ab surdus is the word for death. To be absurd, technically, is not to listen to God. It's remarkable stuff. And so you listen and you say. You listen and you pray. And then especially that heaven is near. And this kind of goes to miracles, too, although we didn't do this. But heaven is near and miracles are normal. You know, we normally have this thing that heaven is far away and God occasionally visits, but only in a real jam, and then we spend our whole lives figuring out which jams he might visit for. Is he only visit for good people or bad people? Who does, you know, only for America or somebody else, right? No, no. All of that is wrong. Heaven is near, not far. God is present, not distant. And Our sins hold back his continuous miracles, not he occasionally does miracles to shake us out of our sins. No, no. He went to the supper today. Jesus appeared from the cross on Good Friday on the altar. That's why everybody genuflects. So God is near, and and miracles are common. We, We have a completely deficient cosmology, but all that is bundled up into our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your holiness has come near, and if you need proof, um, there it is in, and I beg forgiveness already once this morning, it's there in Eden, the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, the temple, ah, I didn't say the Blessed Virgin Mother, but I should have, Mary, Jesus, and in the sacraments. Same, 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 same. Heaven has come near in all those places, come near for you as a miracle, intimate, and yet, filled with awe, and here to make you holy, which is to say, part of the kingdom of God. And so I've tried to convince you then that heaven and earth interlock and overlap, a great phrase from N.T. Wright. And they do that particularly in the flesh and blood of Jesus. And then someday, um, home you'll go. So point number three. Our Father goes with... The first two commandments, don't have any other gods and don't take my name in vain. And also the first article, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. These things are all same, same, same. They're just different ways of expressing more fully and less fully or more, um, you know, conceptually perhaps sometimes and more mystically at other times what it is that is being said. And now if you can hear that Jesus, when he prays, and you remember how this started, these disciples see Jesus praying, sometimes all night, sometimes on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they say, I want what you've got, teach us to pray. And then Jesus doesn't tell them, kneel, turn to the east, make the sign of the cross, hold your breath, but you don't any of that kind of stuff, right? Jesus says, when you pray, say the words that I say. And so you're given this great intimacy with God your Father. And that's drawn. There's nothing new here in some sense, right? In some sense, there's nothing new ever in theology. It is, but this continual expansion or explosion of things, um, you know, I've had two or three times in my life where I've had this just kind of explosion of what's happened in my spiritual life. You've had them too, I'm sure, you know. That's what the Lord's Prayer does. It's It's this explosion of everything becomes clear. Everything becomes succinct. Everything's connected to everything and everything is wrapped up in love. And when that happens to you, you should pay attention, even though it's at times extraordinarily uncomfortable because it shakes things that um, you thought might've been unshakable. So Jesus prays this way from the first commandment, our father don't have any other gods, same same. And it's a father who's holy and true and just and beautiful. And it echoes the second commandment, his holy name, to the intimacy of Papa and father, intimacy and love. And you get that expressed in the first commandment. And then at point number three, this beautiful thing from one of the Vietnamese martyrs. Prayer is the breath of the soul. Without prayer, the soul suffocates through prayer. I live in you, Lord. I live in you as a baby in its mother's womb. This is interesting. Now we talked about simile um, metaphor as, like, and decree is. So here it is, God as mother, if you will. Um, I live in you as a baby in its mother's womb, with breath united to hers and heart beating in rhythm with her. See this? this is what a genius expression this is of the Christian life, that you would breathe the way God breathes, that your heart would beat the way God's heart beats, that you would do the things that God does, you'd see the way God sees. You wouldn't waste a moment. It would all be perfect because heaven is near and miracles are everywhere, and here we go. Lord Jesus, you are my model. The gospel portrays you as praying an entire night on the mountain. You prayed before working miracles, before choosing your apostles, and during the Lord's Supper. You prayed as you sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. You prayed during your agony on the cross. You, the incarnate word, prayed also with scripture. Your existence was one of continuous prayer. So now... Pray without ceasing, this verse that ties, you know, pastors and and Christians in fits, right? What does it mean to pray without ceasing? It means with every breath, it means with every heartbeat, you confess God and do what he asks you to do. And so, you know, as I've said to you a million times, and I say every time I preach at the seminary because it blows the ears off their heads, and maybe that's why I haven't been invited back to preach lately, but obedience, is a gospel word not a law word obedience is the most beautiful obedience is the theological equivalent of don't touch that hot stove or stop slamming your thumb in the car door law or gospel i had a vicar who who argued once not the current vicar i'll spare him but i had a vicar once who argued all the time that anytime god told us to do something was the law love your neighbor that's the law feed the poor that's the law right give alms that's the law and, of course, behind this is always, you can't put me under the law. I said, really? I said, um, what about when your wife says, kiss me, baby? <laughs> he looks at me like, law or gospel? Mm. <laughs> then he said, uh, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> okay. You don't have to play, but you're being dumb. So... Uh, You turn toward your Father with a loving heart, and everything was in service to God's glory. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. See? There's a Father, and there's a Son, and there's a Holy Spirit, and everything gets turned back, and he sweats blood, and the Holy Spirit sends angels to strengthen him, and he speaks the words of Scripture on the cross, and it all turns out because everybody's pulling on the same end of the rope, which is, of course, the same reason the congregation works, and everybody pulls on the same end of the rope. You ardently awaited the coming of your hour in order to accomplish your sacrifice of love. You said, I and the Father are one. Pray without growing weary. I always do what pleases my Father. Can you say this? I always do what pleases my Father. I pray without ceasing. I don't grow weary. You help me understand that unceasing prayer is communion with the Father. And in practice, it always consists in doing the Father's will. Let me translate that for you to say that there's no distance between God and you and no distance between your thinking and your doing. And so you can be a guy like Cardinal Thuan, who you remember um, was imprisoned for many, many years and snuck all of this stuff out to keep his church going strong. Remarkable guy. So prayer is obedience, but it is... But obedience is, you know, is a gospel word and this from now on, right? Look, what happens, what you should see is everything starts to come back around to just knowing a couple of things. It's not the knowing that's so hard, it's the doing. I mean, you can figure this out fairly easily if you stick with it, that love and obedience are synonyms, that nothing good happens by force, that the miracle of God is the miracle of the incarnation. Look at this, obedience in fact arises most naturally not from an ethic of being. Be good girls and be good boys. This is perhaps the sole glory of Lutheranism. The one thing that Lutherans can contribute. The single issue over which the Reformation was fought. Over whether God does it all and gives it to you as a gift or whether you and God have to work it out together. This is genius, obedience arises most naturally not from an ethic of being, you should all be good forced on us against our will, as if God uses force. The great proof that God does not use force will arrive Friday at 3 p.m. When nailed to the cross, he throws up his last breath. If he wanted to use force, he would have come down when they asked him to use force. Now you should critique every church schism and every church movement, and every church leader, and all people who are trying to stuff the ballot box to get their person in charge so the church will do exactly as they wish against the cross of Christ. That would eliminate most contenders. Obedience, in fact, arises most naturally not from an ethic being forced on us against our will, but from the sense of humility which comes when we don't know the way, but trust God does. Gosh, did I not give now and credit for that? Sorry, that is all now and I'm I'm very sorry. Yes. So then at point number four, thy kingdom come. God is holy, heaven is holy, and what comes to us from heaven is also holy. So God's kingdom is a holy kingdom. And now I've given you this, but I give it to you again. In heaven, holiness and love are synonyms as are memory and humility and gratitude and obedience and freedom and hope and peace, all synonyms. They all mean the same thing. They are different distillations of divine love. And if you have memory in heaven, the reason you will have it is to be able to look around and look back and see all the places where the Lord worked these things out for your good. It is, of course, the reason why you wake up every day and say, I want to do exactly what the Lord has bidden me to do and nothing else. Not bend, not dent, not deflect, not forget. Not do anything but bring my Sabbath best every last day. Which you should hear as pure gospel and not as force. You should hear that as pure love. That God would include you in his kingdom and let you do his work. And let you live in forgiveness and let you be holy. Let God be pleased with you. Let God be beloved. Is this a disadvantage in some way? This is what apparently it is. <laughs> She's a beautiful child. Don't, don't don't you don't don't move with that child. Stay right there. She will come around. Come to Jesus. Get out that dunk tank. Stand up and, don't don't go! Don't go! You look like Homer Simpson backing into that hedge. That's what you look like. Not that I've watched the Simpsons, I've only just heard about them. <laughs>
1: Hey, all that stuff I
0: said about, you know, intimacy and awe, apparently in real time. Yeah. Not for me, not for him. He's glorious. All right. So remember that if you saw God face to face, that would be sort of the end of you. You get a glimpse of that on Transfiguration, where the, just for a moment, the disciples, they just get a, a rough glimpse of what it means to be Moses or Elijah or Jesus or the Father. Right? And it's overwhelming even in its mediated form. It's overwhelming. Because if we saw it face to face, that would destroy us. But because God will touch us with words, the Father's great condescension is creation. The Son's great condescension is incarnation. The Spirit's great condescension to us is Scripture. These three things, right? Creation, incarnation, and scripture. Haman. So this is the way that God makes sure that we are saved. And if we're not saved, uh, as Lewis said, the door from hell is locked from the inside. The glory of Christians lies not in brilliant achievements, but in doing what God wants of them we all may have the honor of obeying him. That's the glory of St. Joseph. All greatness consists in conforming ourselves to God's orders. This is what Jesus teaches us, hidden with his humble family, Mary and Joseph, when he joins to the obscurity of his life because they are very dear to him. Let us take our part and hide ourselves with Christ. He is still hidden. He is hidden with the Father. And as the Holy Apostle says, we are hidden with God in him. As we are hidden with him, it is not in this place of exile. So the earth is a place of exile, temporary, destroyed, ruined. It is not in this place of exile where we should seek his glory. But when Jesus shows himself in his majesty, it will then be the time to appear. When Christ your life appears, then you too will appear with him in glory. Oh God, how sweet it is when we will be able to stand forth in that day when Jesus will praise us before his holy angels. My brother, my sister, it'll be remarkable stuff. It's a reason not to fear death so much as we do. Before the whole universe and before his heavenly Father, let men be eternally silent about us so that Jesus Christ may speak of us on that day. So that's what you're aiming at. And then, you know, I say to you, every time I've given you this now for a year, I've said to you, you know, you should read this, and I haven't read it to you. And I always say to you, it's the most brilliant thing I know about love that I've ever read. But I probably should read it to you at least once, you know, before, well, just once. But, Nagel. Whenever we do anything merely because we have to. Now, I just want to pause and just say... This is for your family. This is with your kids. This is in your church. You know, this is for your prayers. It works for tithing. It is about almsgiving. It's about fasting. It's about doing good work. It's about everything. In everything, you observe the distinction between force and love, which is to dis- observe the distinction between law and gospel. Lutherans should just be they should just should be their bread and butter and it's so hard to like get them all the way there to really sort of live out the legacy they've been given whenever we do anything because we have to merely because we have to by compulsion we are not acting as the beloved as those who are who are pleasing to God as free sons and daughters and there it is of the kingdom if we pay taxes Because we will go to jail if we don't. We act as slaves. And not as God's three children, not as Peter and Jesus did when they paid their taxes together. They didn't pay any attention, they just kept fishing. The motive of Christian action is not force but love. If the motive is force, it's not Christian action. I want to be clear about this. Christian in the sense of second article, kingdom come, Jesus in the flesh, from the sacrament because none of these things work by force never ever if it works by force. It's not the gospel The motive of a Christian action is not force, but love We live from the gospel not from the law again basic Lutheran stuff the law doesn't motivate Right it accuses even condemns can guide but doesn't motivate creates fear Christ never gets behind his friends with a sword or a whip he gets Inside them with his love, a love that makes us free to want and achieve what God wants and plans. That would entail a change of heart from the Holy Spirit. When you want what God wants, it's not because it's natural to you, it's because God has given you his Holy Spirit and changed you, remade you, recreated you, written a new law in your heart, if you will, a gospelly law. Therefore, Jesus goes to Gethsemane and moves toward the cross This is so important for this week, not at the point of a sword. There are several ways out of the Garden of Gethsemane. Only one of them goes down the Kidron Valley to Golgotha. He doesn't go there at the point of a sword, but moved by the love of God and the love of us. He loves God and he loves me. Willingly all this I suffer. Love alone wins anything, any worthwhile victory and to do this, it must be willing to forgo force and to suffer. That is to say, it must be willing to fail in the eyes of the world. When a man strikes you with his fist or with his tongue and you strike back, you have been defeated by him. His enmity has won the engagement and the enmity is double, so yours and his. If he strikes you and you do not retaliate, then the enmity remains single and a little discomforted. By refusing to be made into his enemy, you have taken the first step towards love's victory of cleansing his heart of malice and making him your friend. Jesus will only be your enemy if you make him be your enemy, but it doesn't come from his side. He dies for the whole world and for the life of the world this Friday. Thus, sin that sets us against each other is overcome. This is completely lost on the world, on our world explicitly, where love is weakness and forgiveness is illicit. The world could not be more different than Jesus. And that means there couldn't be more opportunity than there is right now. Because what happens, as you know, when we did a long study on evil, what you find out is that evil always overreaches. It always overplays its hand. And there is a day when evil destroys itself. It goes in a puff, but normally it's a violent finish. But then it's over, right? Friday, it's a violent finish and then it's over. It works for every kind of evil. When evil comes, sit tight. Right? Only love can overcome sin, though it often means suffering long. The overcoming of sin that divided us from God cost Calvary. Because it was love's victory, it achieved the true victory, not merely one of external appearances. This is so important. And this is the difference now between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of the world, we try to be civil and if you have a brain in your head you know that um, peace is preferable to chaos and justice is preferable to impulse and all the other ways that you can parse this. Only love can overcome sin though it means suffering long because it was love's victory it achieved the true victory not merely one of external appearances. All those people who make you say what you must say and do what you must do and you know you'll um, do it for a while but I, I remember when uh i remember when yugoslavia fell i remember reading a story about um i can't remember actually which way it went but there was this really interesting story about there were these two guys who had lived next door a christian and a muslim had lived next door been forced to live next to each other Um, in peace for um, 25-30 years. And when it all blew apart, one of them loaded a gun and went next door and when his neighbor opened the door, he shot him between the eyes. And everybody was astounded by this. They'd lived in peace for 25 years. Really, had they? No, they'd been coerced into it because it was preferable to jail. External appearances which is the best that force can do. And now, here's the thing, you've heard me say this before, force is necessary to create external appearances. You shouldn't hear any of this as a diss on police, military, order, judges, blah, blah, blah. No, no, they just are playing a different game. This is church talk we're talking right now. This is kingdom of God talk, right? This is not kingdom of earth talk. Kingdom of earth talk, you need force to create the appearances, to enforce what is best, but the church doesn't work that way, and when you confuse the kingdoms, another basic Lutheran thing, that's when everything goes crazy, right? But when we use force, it is an acknowledgement of the failure of love, and that's true. Nobody would walk into politics in America today and say, this is all run by love. Hmm, Really? No, what you hope that it's run by is justice, fairness. There's a reason she wears a blindfold when she holds the scales. Only when love has exhausted its possibilities do we reluctantly use force. Now see, this is important. There is a place for force. But I'm talking about the church right now. I'm talking about you and how you deal with each other and the people that you live with and in your families. And even how you yourself may be oppressed. And of course, we've talked about this too. There's a difference between, you know, um, you know if I'm attacked what my responsibilities are, and if my children or my wife is attacked. I have another set of responsibilities, right? This is, you know, it takes some thoughtfulness to figure out which way to go. But I can tell you what is wrong in all facets is knee-jerk reaction of violence and hatred toward other people, or giving up on love, or acting as forgiveness doesn't matter, or shouting people down, or eliminating them. Genocide, right? These sorts of things that are not so far from us, yeah. Yeah. To protect against things getting worse this is very important. It can be necessary, but negative achievement. It's necessary at sometimes to exert proper force in fairness so that the world doesn't crumble down into the chaos of original sin. Positive good is the work of love. So negative good is the work of force. Force brings negative good. Understand negative in a positive way, if you will. Force brings necessary good but it's not the same good as love love positive love brings positive good and the proof all our good hangs on Jesus going to Calvary does no sword spell defeat through Lent we follow with Jesus his ways to be our Savior but are we following ever closer or slipping from his way to something more reliable I just have to tell you church politics is the first thing that comes to mind there All the reliable people that would love your vote and could just straighten it out if you only gave them the chance. Beware, I mean, be frightened, very frightened. So, you know, that's about 17% of where I thought I was going, but uh, here's the thing, If if I died and thought that you could understand that the outcome of love is positive, good, I'd think, well, my life actually mattered. So, there you go. forever and ever. Amen. Hey, thanks. Love you. It's going to be a great Easter. All is well.